0: What is up, people? My name is Reese, or Next year Novelist. Welcome back to the From Zero podcast, where I talk about my thoughts and experiences as an aspiring author of the next generation. So today, I'm going to be talking about the skill of subversion. Yep, subversion. This is the number one thing that I personally believe defines me as a writer. I don't need to have one thing to define me, but I was considering it. Uh, once, you know, I noticed that all these other writers like Brandon Sanderson had things And I was like, what's my thing? What's what's the thing that sets me apart? You know, and as I said in my first podcast What if, if my book was on a shelf and someone picked it up For starters, before they even pick it up What sets it apart from the other books? Well, not before they pick it up because I don't determine what the cover looks like So when they pick it up, what sets my book apart from the other books? You know, when they see my name, what does that mean to them? It's a new story. It's not saying world they've seen before. What are they thinking? And I don't really know. But like I said in my first podcast, I always assume now that they would be thinking this is somehow going to subvert my expectations. He's going to do something that I don't plan on seeing. He's going to have some crazy ending, some odd character, some weird twist. The world is going to be strange in some way that I didn't see. He's going to pull the rug out from under my feet. That's kind of what I expect people to think, right? Also, that the story is probably going to be relatively dark and my characters are going to suffer a little bit, but that's usually what you can expect. So, you know, with other authors, they have that. There are expectations that people have of you in your work. You determine what those things are for your writing. I don't know how consciously a lot of writers think about things like that, but. Like I said, I sat down and really had a long think about it because I really did want to know. And the reason I wanted to know is because I wanted to be able to effectively write my stories. Now, of course, the danger in this is that you might just start becoming a gimmick, you know? If you think, oh, I'm the endings guy, as Brandon Sanderson once said, he, he was becoming the endings guy with his books early in his career. He was becoming the guy that had the twist endings. And he didn't want to just be the endings guy. You know, he's also the magic system guy. And so I believe he tried to kind of branch out a bit and tried to not make it too much of that. But you, there are certain styles and certain things that we find interesting as people and as writers. And it just ends up in our work. And I know for me, for as long as I've been alive, that's the thing. I, I Anything I look at, once I figured it out, I thought about everything I'd ever made in my life, videos, you know, when I'd even play with toys with my friends, you know, what were things I liked? I say I liked series. So I liked things that were continuous. I didn't like very episodic things. As I got older, I've learned to appreciate the skill and the art in episodic uh, stories. But when I was younger with cartoons, it really used to annoy me that the cartoon would end and reset the next episode it really annoyed me and every time there was a part two i got excited because i was like yes it's continuous it really annoys me having to watch episodic things mostly because i felt like no progress was being made and so having two parters usually made it feel like it was actually going somewhere and i always loved episodes where the good guys lost and i always loved episodes where there was some kind of twist, and usually that would be the good guys losing or something. I really loved those things. So from a young age, I really enjoyed subversion. I enjoyed the idea of things being twisted or things being different. My favourite game of all time is Star Wars Knights of the Republic 2 for this very reason. Okay, It just subverts everything that I expected from Star Wars. At the time, when I was eight years old, I didn't really know that's what it was doing. Um, I just knew I really enjoyed the game and I, I loved it. And still now, you know, over 10 years later, I love the game still. And it's still my favorite game of all time for this very reason. It just did things I didn't expect it to do. So what exactly is the importance of version? Why am I talking about it? Well, I'm talking about it, like I say, because I feel it defines me as a writer and it's who I am. And I kind of want to document my thoughts on it. Because, you know, I didn't think I'd talk about this topic quite so early, you know, on episode three. But um, I just feel like talking about it, to be honest. And it's because I'm very passionate about it and I really enjoy it. Every story I think I'll ever write will have subversion in it. May sound like a bold statement, but I think for the rest of my life, I will constantly subvert things. Maybe I won't, but I really struggle to see how I couldn't because subversion is so broad it means literally just you twist the expectations that someone has for something and i can do that forever because eventually if i was published and people became aware of what i do in my work and they listen to podcasts like this they'd think oh He subverts things a lot. So this character is probably going to die or blah, blah, blah. blah. But that's the thing about subversion. You can't really predict it because if you're doing it well, the entire point is that people don't really know what's coming. Right. So you can do it forever. It never really does become old. I think the only thing is, is that some people might get sick and tired of being shocked. I mean, that sounds strange, but I feel like it could happen where people are like, all right, I get it. You, you can subvert things, but it's getting a bit old now. Um, I don't know. I'm struggling to see how. But too much of anything can become too much, right? So I'm sure it can work. It's just probably not ever really been done enough for us to know what the threshold is. For us to know, like, all right, after 20 times, it gets a bit jarring. Um, <laughs> but I think what people don't like is they don't like... I know some people don't like open endings and they don't like uh, those kinds of stories, the kinds of stories that leave everything up to you to figure out. And they don't like endings that end with a twist, but the twist doesn't seem to make sense. Right. So um, that's exactly what I should be talking about, about twists not making sense, because that's really what this all comes down to. This is about the skill of subversion, not the haphazard mistake of subverting something oh, I didn't realize I was subverting that trope, you know, because that will happen from time to time. You'll subvert a trope without realizing it. But I quite consciously subvert tropes. Okay. If there's a trope in a work I'm doing, I'm usually aware of it, unless it's some vague trope, you know, or some uncommon trope. But if it's a very common trope, like a chosen one, I know what I'm doing with it. I know it's a common trope. I know it's been played out to death. I know all of those things. And I know usually what people are sick and tired of with it. And I know what I myself am sick and tired of with it. And that's usually what informs how I subvert it, right? So with Chosen Ones, I get so sick and tired of the fact that they don't have psychological ramifications for all the crap they see. It makes no sense to me that some child who was born and raised on a farm And has seen no real combat or violence for most of their life. Just sees this great tragedy before them. You know, the call to action. Oh, my uncle's dead. My family was massacred. The village was burnt. And they don't have PTSD. To me, that's strange. I, I just find that weird. That doesn't make sense. I can understand with the older stories that maybe that's just not what people are thinking about. But in more modern times, when we have you know grey villains and grey morality now and stuff why we have protagonists that still don't you know particularly I'm picking on chosen ones here because chosen ones of all types of protagonists are the most fantastical aren't they they're the most kind of wish fulfillment and I feel like because of that they get all these barriers all this plot armor all this resistance to certain things and if you explain that in your story, you say, oh, the Chosen One doesn't have psychological trauma because they're the Chosen One and magical forces prevent that. Some people will say that's nonsense, but for crying out loud in his fantasy, you can do virtually, within reason, what you want. So if you can explain it and you can at least lampshade it, fair enough. Most people will just take it at face value because it's a Chosen One, but... It's the reason why a lot of people get sick and tired of it, because it doesn't feel real. And I don't think Chosen Ones in and of themselves as a trope are bad. I think it's that people don't subvert it very well, or really at all. You know, sometimes they'll make the Chosen One do evil things. That's one way. I think that's probably the most common way that people uh, do a very good, shocking subversion of it. You know, Anakin Skywalker. Oh, he fell to the dark side. But then... His fall to the dark side, like, was it handled well? I would argue it wasn't. So, again, it's a skill. Like, to be able to subvert a trope like that, you've got to do it properly. And there is... Like, I don't like to say there's a proper way to do things but there kind of is (laughs) like there just kind of is you know sometimes I wish I could articulate everything in my head properly but I don't know how to explain that entirely but there is sometimes just certain things with storytelling that you just kind of feel like that wasn't done properly you know and usually there's a reflection of that's when people start to review it and people are like eh that didn't feel right Yeah, sure. There's usually people who just say that was great. I loved all of it. I don't know what you're talking about. But I feel like those movies which get the mass critical acclaim and all the critics are raving about it and those kinds of things. I feel like oftentimes they did something very right. And here's the thing I think you should be considering when you're subverting something. The main reason why you're subverting whatever you're subverting is because it's been done a lot of times. And you know when the audience comes to this, they're going to think, oh, I've seen this before. And you, trying to subvert it, you're like, ah, whoa, you have seen it before, but not like this. And that's what makes it refreshing. I have this theory, this view, I would say, don't know if I'd call it a theory, but a view where, you know, I know there are writers who like to write unknown, quite strange stories and they think that because the story is very original, so, you know, it's got a setting like nothing you've seen before, characters like you've never seen with weird quirks that just don't make sense and the the, the magic is insane and everything is very, very out there, right? It's not very familiar. And those writers sometimes believe that because their story is very original, it will be very relatable, not sorry, not relatable, it will be very successful or that people will really enjoy it because of the simple fact that it's original. I don't think so. I think the vast majority of people enjoy familiarity, but the sweet spot is when you make something familiar enough, but refreshing enough that it's still intriguing and exciting. You know, because if it's just too familiar, it's like, oh, well, I've read this a thousand one times. Why did I waste my money on it? But if it's comfortable, like, for example, going back to The Chosen One, I'm using that because it's my own story. So having a Chosen One, like in my story, I have things like she the, the girl has white hair. Okay, I don't know if this will be the first chapter in the final version of the story. But right now I've even opened a story with her in her bedroom and she's looking in the mirror. And in young adult fantasy, That's a very cliche thing to do and something which oftentimes you're told to to flat out avoid. You know, don't have your characters waking up. She doesn't wake up, but don't have your characters looking in the mirror. You know, Um, she doesn't. But I have just some of those things there because I'm trying to make it familiar. I want it to feel comfortable so that it stings and shocks more when I pull the rug out from under you. When I subvert your expectations, when I say... Well, you didn't see that coming. It's going to hit harder when I've already given you a lot of what you expect, right? Because you're going to be following these beats like, yeah, I know what this is. I know what this is. But you're going to be hoping in some respect that it's not entirely what you expect, right? Because why would you want to read the same story a thousand and one times? You don't. Usually, the only reason people do that is because there's not enough stories which are refreshing. So we just keep reading things that are familiar just because we like the comfort. doesn't mean we want to read the same story over and over again. It's just there's not enough stories that are different. And even then, if everybody was subverting the chosen one, then the subversion would become the new commonplace trope, right? And then people would have to react to that and subvert that and the cycle continues. So... But right now I'm doing a reaction to what most people do with Chosen Ones. So I've even given her like a a unique hair colour. She's got white hair, you know, and she's exceptionally beautiful. And these things, they actually, there's actually a reason for them that you will probably not know for a while. Um, It won't be revealed in the first book. But there is a reason for those things, and that in and of itself is subversion Because usually those are just givens, like, she has a weird hair colour, why? Because she's the chosen one and she's special Yes, maybe, but in my story there's a reason why she has those features Why is she very very beautiful by all accounts? There's a reason why. And even then, within my story, I have cultures and people who don't think she's beautiful and who don't think she's the chosen one. They think she's an abomination, you know, and they think that she's disgusting and that she should be killed and things like that. I have cultures and people that don't actually like or appreciate her existence in the same way others do. And I make note of those people and make it shown to you that those people exist in this world But for the bulk of the first story, it is people kind of being quite nice to her. But what you realise is that, yes, quite commonly, she has to deal with this whole self-acceptance stuff. But I make it very psychological. So, for example, she has PTSD. Now, most chosen ones do not have PTSD. Even though, like I said earlier, they realistically should. But they just don't. And I just find it strange. So, I was like, nope with what she's seen she should have some ptsd right and that ptsd is going to be the main reason why she cannot do anything you know it's like you have to defeat the bad dark woman i can't because i'm afraid of her because every time i think of her or see something that reminds me of her i have you know shock and it makes me physically incapable of doing anything Isn't that far more interesting than just, I don't want to do it because I don't believe in myself when you've seen that a thousand and one times. Now bear this in mind, here's the key, it's similar, it's almost in a way the same thing, but it isn't though, is it? It's hitting the same beats, it's serving the same purpose, it's just being written about in a different way, with a different method, that's it. And honestly, in my view, that's enough. You don't have to make it like you've never seen this kind of Chosen One before. This Chosen One has four arms and she doesn't have a unique hair colour. Her hair colour is the dullest of the doll. And she is, you know, completely depressed. And she doesn't do anything for the entire book. She never fulfills her purpose. That's not satisfying. You know, like, that's not... I mean, maybe you could make it satisfying, but that doesn't sound satisfying to me. I definitely wouldn't read that. Because I want resolution. I want things to happen I do want even if I've read chosen one stories before where the chosen one fulfills their destiny I want to see that still just make them fulfill their destiny in a way I didn't expect you know make them not fulfill their destiny make them go evil make them fall off their path but make sure you've led up to that point authentically and that it makes sense and that you're not just subverting it because you think that's cool or that will be fun and it doesn't actually have any true explanation for why it's it's happening You know And another thing to do with my chosen one is that And this is perhaps the most interesting part of her character Is that she's a pacifist Now Isn't that interesting You have a chosen one What do most chosen ones roles involve? You will rise up Farm girl who's never killed anybody in your entire life And you will kill the dark lord And every single minion that gets in your way Because that's your destiny It's a bit messed up to think isn't it That you take this young person and say Your destiny is to kill somebody Just because you happen to be born You know to this bloodline or whatever Just because of some chosen thing Your entire life now is dictated by it It's just My story is very much about that dictatorship And how these forces determine what you should be doing And Mm, Whether or not, that's okay. So, yeah, so you have, you know, a chosen one who's a pacifist. If your role is to kill the Dark Lord and you're a pacifist, oh, there's a giant conflict of of interest there. Very giant. Very giant conflict. You know, because that's... And here's the main thing. Do you want to know where that came from? That came from something which, again, I've noticed a lot of people don't do with chosen ones, which is that they oftentimes make them a chosen one first and a person second sometimes not at all and what this is is that they're just very much this weird 2d character of just i'm the chosen one i'm the paragon of justice i'm all about good light 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 there's elements of my character which is like that on purpose but then you see that beneath all of that she's not truly like that she is a person she does get angry she gets pissed she has feelings and in the second book you're really gonna see you know whenever if you ever get to see the second book published but even if you don't i'll self-publish it so you will see it one day you know but in my second book i plan on making you really see how her being a chosen one gets to her head you know how she really thinks i'm the chosen one and it really starts to have you know some uh, a bit of a she starts to create a bit of a god and superhero complex out of it and that to me is what would potentially happen to somebody who had the uh, background and upbringing she had and that had the psychological you know trials that she had to undergo i believe realistically this is what would happen to them and being a pacifist and having to forsake her nature you know i made her a character first so she was a person and that person was i'm a pacifist i love plants i love life i love everything she has unconditional love for everything yes Part of that is because she's the chosen person, right? That's part of why she is so optimistic and nice and sweet and rosy dandy. But that comes into conflict with her role, you see. So you're a pacifist and that should be a good thing. It should be good that you're a nice person and that you love everyone. But it means that you even love the antagonist and that you think even the antagonist deserves to live. Even though, but here's the thing, she's still a person So there's a part of her which is like, the antagonist should live too But then she sees what the antagonist is doing And like any person, well, she starts to change her mind (laughs) Just because she's a chosen one Doesn't mean she's above having a little bit of a, you know A bit of a heel turn here and there Changing her mind, switching things up a bit Having a different opinion And so that's how I subvert the chosen one trope Okay, and that's a skill the skill is in that you change things in a way that people don't really expect but it's not so far out there that it's like unrelatable it's still relatable and it still has a level of comfort and you know the way they basically where well, i hear this phrase often is the familiar meeting the unfamiliar rather than the unfamiliar meeting the unknown okay the unfamiliar meeting the unknown can work but you end up niching yourself usually If you do the familiar meeting the unfamiliar, that's what most people will do. And that's what most people are generally comfortable reading. So that's been episode three of the From Zero podcast talking about skill of subversion. Hopefully that was enjoyable. Hopefully you got something out of it. Just me sharing my thoughts and giving you a little bit of an understanding of how I have used subversion myself. And honestly, anything you'll ever read by me will usually have an element or subversion laced into it because that's just what I naturally do. Um, I enjoy taking things that you expect and twisting them. So, yeah, that's what I've got to say. And I'm out. Peace.